listening to Speak Out Loud, stories of strength from the Southern Downs, a community project sharing stories of strength and resilience, as well as information about mental health and wellbeing that supports our communities impacted by the 2019 and 2020 bushfires. Tune in for conversations with local residents and health and community workers who generously share tips, strategies and resources to support your recovery journey. In the spirit of reconciliation, we wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. I'm your host, Catherine Walton a mental health social worker based on the Southern Downs in Southern Queensland. I'm so pleased to bring this podcast to you, which has been supported through funding from the Darling Downs and Westmorton PHN. Today we're talking about stress with Mark Carey. Mark is a counselling psychologist who has worked in southwest regional Queensland for more than 22 years. Mark has a background of experience working therapeutically with children, adolescents, adults and families in clinical agencies such as Headspace and Mercy Family Services, as well as in independent private practice. Mark has a special interest in working in childhood and adolescent mental health and especially working to support people with ASD and ADHD. Child protection, suicide prevention, refugee settlement, men's mental health and well-being, and integrated health. Mark is currently in practice at the Centre for Healthy Living based in Warwick on the Southern Downs in Queensland. In this conversation, Mark explains how stress can show up for individuals during and immediately after a crisis or a natural disaster. The types of stresses that show up in the months and the years following a disaster. The layers of stress that people in the region have been dealing with in recent years. Effective strategies to manage stress throughout the recovery journey the impact of stress on overall health and well-being, how to develop and maintain a strong foundation of health and well-being, warning signs to look out for when it comes to stress, what to do and where to go if you are concerned about your own or someone else's mental health, and where to go for more information about managing stress and looking after mental health. Mark also leaves us with his top three tips for optimising your mental health, which I firmly believe will be of great value to you. Welcome, Mark. It's great to have a chat with you today. So we're here to talk about bushfires, the bushfires of 2019 and 2020, and it's been just over a year since that last bushfire in the region. 
And these bushfires we know have impacted people in many different ways, either directly or indirectly. Could you talk to our listeners a little bit about the different ways that stress can show up for individuals during a disaster like a bushfire, but also immediately after that bushfire or other disaster? Yes, I think with disasters, particularly the the uh, the fire. There was a lot of people expressing anxiety and worry um, to me, and and um, they were having trouble with uh, uh, their sleep patterns. They were having trouble making decisions about about everyday um, activities. Some people were quite irritable, uh, but anxiety seemed to be the main behaviour that people were, you know. Um, exhibiting uh, worry about uh, not anything in specific actually but just worrying a lot about everyday things worrying about the future as well it um, became um, a sort of a general anxiety many time in many instances but um, people were reporting to me I noticed they were getting a bit down and low in their mood there was um, a lot of uh, listlessness after a while as well. People seem to be dra- dragging uh, dragging themselves around. So there was just a few of the things that I observed, uh, you know, talking with people that came to see me and just and ordinary townsfolk, you know, this is what was going on for them in the conversations we were having socially downtown in the street. So not just the people who were living on properties out on the outer parts of the region, but people in town as well? Oh, it definitely. Look, I was at a social event. I was at a, at a wedding, actually, and, uh, and, uh, and there happened to be um, just some smoke come, uh, come through from, uh, I don't think it was a bushfire, but just some burning off somewhere, some back burning, I think, is a and the amount of anxiety which I saw the pe- on the faces of the people attending that wedding when the smoke came on into the vicinity and round the, round the function was quite palpable. People were, were phoning up, wondering what's going on, trying to get information. It changed the mood of the event. So, um, yeah, look, it, it, it impacted on everybody's lives, I think, in living in the region here. Mm. In many ways. And those stresses that people experienced, they didn't simply go away once that last bushfire was extinguished. We talk about a recovery journey that people go on after there's been a disaster like that. And this recovery that takes place takes place over a longer period of time. So what sorts of stresses might show up for people in the months and even the years after a disaster or a crisis like the bushfires? Um, it, well, in the months after, uh, look, sleep um, sleep problems can arise uh, two to three, four months after after an event like that if they haven't arisen before, there can be a delay in the onset of sleep problems. People can be waking up through the night for no no particular reason, but they might um, be uh, also just looking out the window, finding themselves going to the um, going to the door, checking on things, you know, what's going on outside. Um, people can become anxious and relive memories of the their experience of the bushfires, um, and that could be triggered by seeing something 
uh, a report of bushfires overseas, perhaps, uh, or seeing um, backburning uh, through the winter months going on in their local area, the smell of smoke from the barbecue next door if uh, if the uh, fire restrictions weren't still in place. Those sorts of things were, were triggering people to get anxious again, uh, start reliving memories of their experiences, negative experiences, feeling anxious, feeling hopeless too about or, uh, uh, that the event may, may, those conditions may still be with them and that uh, it could possibly reoccur. So I guess what we'd say is some, some trauma post um, behaviours were coming out for people and being triggered by everyday events um, that would um, present no- normally, I suppose, within within the cycle of a year. So the bushfires um, can typically trigger quite significant stress, but there are also other factors in our everyday lives that contribute to stress. Could you speak a little bit about those other layers of stresses? Uh, well, look, there's there's a number of sources of stress in our daily lives. It could be uh, relationship stress, um, uh, the bushfire placed a, a, a great degree of uh, stress on relationships and their people can become irritable in their in their behavior towards others or impatient or excessively uh, worrying uh, a little bit emotionally up and down uh, but uh, also the there was financial stress work stress which can um, create aspects which are similar to burnout in people. I know country people work long hours if they're not working long hours in their in their on their farms or their rural um, enterprises. The the people that serve those those the businesses which serve uh, men and women on the land are also out there working long hours to, to make sure that their customers are going okay. And that and also in towns, you know, uh, the tradesmen, the the uh, grocery store owner, the barber, the hairdresser—they're all so uh, affected by what affects the men and women on their land. So there was a lot of financial stress, and that's still ongoing post with COVID and uh, the the mouse plague, which has been going on currently. So those stress, financial and business stresses, I call them employment stresses, are, are pretty constant. But educationally too, there are issues for for young people. Um, uh, the bushfire did interrupt um, the lives of, of uh, young people going to school. Uh, some kids didn't go to school because they had to. Um, they were involved supporting their parents in one way or another. Um, and COVID, of course, created um, interruptions to ongoing education. So one of the things that we has been an outcome of that has been a great deal of anxiety for young people in the past uh, 12 to 24 months first with the bushfires and then with the COVID restrictions, they seem to have um, created an ongoing stress for, for uh, young people, primary school, high school as well, um, and, of course, those that were going attending university So um, because their lives were interrupted as well. So um, it's... Uh, and the elderly, of course, have been affected by particularly by COVID worries, but uh, many... Um, Many of the older people 
in nursing homes also had a son or daughter working on the land, uh, looking after the the, the um, farm that they inherited for mum and dad. So there were for for the elderly there were also um, stresses concerning the well-being of their their families and also their own future in viable future of being able to stay in the nursing home because of financial stress coming out of the out of the uh, the fires and covid and to put it in perspective those bushfires came along after several years of severe drought so it, it's been quite an, a journey hasn't it the the drought well, and even before that there were floods there's been drought there's been the bushfires. And since the bushfires, as you mentioned, we've had the COVID situation around the globe. And we've also had just recently some more flooding, minor flooding around the region a couple of months ago. And before we started recording this um, conversation, Mark, you also mentioned the mouse plague. So I think it's you know useful to put into perspective this ongoing situation of stresses that might be impacting people across the region it has it's, it's been um, it's been I can't, I can't think of a period in my in my in history uh, at least in my the oral history of my families uh, being uh, being in Australia for several generations that such a such a an ongoing wave of, of um, of difficulty and disaster in many, to put it bluntly really, uh, has affected the community and the lives of ordinary people in such a such a continuous way. So, I mean, I, I guess the floods were pretty damaging in 2010, 11, and then again in 13, and people just recovered from that. But the uh, then the drought, the worst drought in living memory, and beyond that... Um, I saw the land come to to a halt, uh, and life was was great degree of hopelessness about the drought, and then the bushfires. I guess uh, the drought set up the conditions for a very severe bushfire season, which uh, which rapid, very quickly uh, affected, uh, threatened the lives of and the homes of thousands and thousands of people in Australia. In one in one. Uh, season, you know, spring, summer, and into the uh, into the autumn, and then of course the uh, COVID nineteen restrictions, which nobody could predict or would have imagined. And then coming out of that, we had the good rains, and when uh, uh, some degree of optimism, I think, returned to the faces and and the conversation of people within my town. Uh, we uh, I've been recently dealing and. Um, talking to people that have come to see me about help for this uh, the stress they're feeling about the mouse plague, which um, invades not just their work sites, you know, the, but uh, the you know looking at uh, the way it's affected fodder and crops, but also it's invaded people's homes. So you know uh, their bedrooms, their bathrooms. Their, when they get into bed at night, there's the mice between the blankets. Um, you know, through the night they're being uh, their toes nibbled at by mice. You know, it it's a continuous uh, assault on on uh, their ability to live a normal life without any um, 
without any threat, even though mice are uh, small. There's thousands of them at the moment. So uh, that's been something people hadn't uh, imagined would happen, but uh, people on the land are pretty pretty resilient. I see, uh, you know, conversations lead to, well, you know, we dealt with the, the drought, we dealt with the COVID, we'll deal with this again, um, comments coming through. So um, people are being adapting again to, to a new situation. And adapting does seem to be a bit of a theme in the last couple of years, doesn't it? It does, yeah. The unexpected seems to happen and uh, and we seem to need to accept it, try and accommodate it, get around it in some way and continue on uh, living our daily lives and making, making homes for people, doing our jobs in spite of the difficulties. And I think, you know, look, through the, through the difficult times, relationships that people have had in the community with each other has been something which has made people be able to bear the most, even the most difficult times. So I think that's been a, an aspect of recovery that um, uh, is, is certainly been one of the more powerful um, mediums for, for people's ability to adapt and... Um, find a way forward and have a, a, a life with some normality if that's a, I think that's what we're still striving for uh, but that's happening every day when I go out into town I see people going about their business despite uh, despite the adversity. Is there a difference in how stress shows up for people of different ages and who are travelling different walks in life? You did mention before about perhaps some older people, our older generations who might be concerned for their families who have succeeded their farms um, or their properties. And I'm just wondering also about children, for example, and teenagers. Are people of different ages and stages managing stress differently and is it showing up differently in their lives? Yeah, look, definitely. Um, when we look at there is a range of a way, a range in how, according to age in which people uh, experience and um, deal with stress, there's some differences there. Children, particularly young children, say, you know, the primary school age, um, are very poor interpreters of events and they tend to um, imagine uh, disasters are, are at close hand, particularly if they're watching the TV or watching media or they're exposed to radio and, and many of the other forms of social me- uh, media. Uh, they're uh, uh, not able to filter and discern how close the events may be that are um, threatening uh, they tend to see that, think that, you know, the bushfires next door or, um, you know, the floods just down the road and they become very anxious and need a lot of reassurance about um, uh, somebody to help them put things into perspective. I think it's very important that children are not exposed to too much uh, information on TV or, or media uh, during disastrous events. So I think that we just need to keep things normal for them and keep them involved with um, fun activities and helping around the home or playing out in the backyard. Just keep it normal for them. Don't overexpose them to things uh, because great they don't interpret things well and they tend to become very anxious. Uh, 
But the teenagers are a little bit different. I think they can take a better perspective, but they do, I know, tend to worry about their parents a lot and how they may be going, um, how that things may be impacting on their parents. They do tend to, like their younger children, also perhaps over-imagine or... Um, inflate the real the dangers which may be there as well so we have to be careful in way in what we expose them to or help them help interpret events for them but adults um i think of uh, uh you know face stresses like financial um financial and uh, uh um, property issues for them, and I think for, for young families, for families at any stage, whether they're starting out or in their, wherever they may be in their cycle of um, the cycle of family life, um, they're always uh, shouldering uh, their responsibilities towards their children or themselves or their partner in terms of how can they secure um, you know, uh, their jobs, their, their homes, their, their um, livelihoods, which I think... I think adults tend to bear um, uh, stress in terms of the relationship and financial um, matters uh, more heavily. So we're seeing, we tend to see them more um, incidents of anxiety, but also depression, low mood. Um, uh, we can also see an increase in suicidal behaviour um, and also tendency to see more overuse of alcohol or other illegal uh, uh, drugs as well. You can see an increase in gambling uh, and some other addictive behaviours. So that, um, and of course trauma and post-traumatic stress disorders um, are prevalent. As we move into the older ages, I think many of the those that have seen, uh, you know, post over 60 perhaps are um, are feeling helpless and hopeless as well. Sometimes the the family home or the family business or the farm which they help or inherited from their parents perhaps or they set up for themselves uh, to give to their children has been uh, eroded or compromised in some way. So I think some of them feel that they have um, worked in it uh, for nothing uh, to see the the future which they gave their children be um, jeopardised or eaten away or disappeared because of the uh, effects of whatever disaster, you know, the, the flood, the fire or the drought. Um, I think that's created sense of depression in older people um, as well. So um, an incidence of depression, higher levels of incidence of that, um, that experience... Anxiety as well, uh, anxiety about their own future, whether they be able to keep their home or whether they can afford to move into a, a retirement village or a nursing home. Again, it's uh, issues about continuity of life for them, um, So, which affects people of younger ages as well, but in different ways. That threat to the continuity of life is um, something which varies depending on what age or stage you're in, but it's there as a background concern. So thinking about that 
intense time when the bushfires were actually happening, um, when they were active across the region. What are some strategies that people might have used successfully to manage their stresses at that time, in, in that most intense period? I think the most important thing is to uh, keep linked with other people, um, uh, whether that's your neighbour, your, your, your family network, somebody in the community, even the shopkeepers. It's important to link socially with them to find out what's going on, to uh, uh, just exchange a conversation. Uh, those conversations and the interpersonal contact can be very reassuring and, and it helps keep the stress and anxiety down. Um, uh, not, I think it's in those... Um, the intense times of disaster, uh, it's important not to watch s- too much social media. That tends to inflate uh, inflate anxiety rather than deflate anxiety. Uh, they tend to just go over and over what's going wrong when we need to be thinking about what's going right. And um, then if we do keep in touch with authorities, we keep... But, um, if we keep in touch with friends, family, etc., and try to go about our daily normal living activities, whether that's, uh, I don't think we could wash windows in the bushfire. There was too much smoke about, but uh, but certainly, you know, just keep making sure the house is clean, um, looking after the animals, you know, doing some little hobby for a little bit, even if it was just an hour or two, helps um, prevent our mind running in into imagining things or running into in a direction which is anxiety anxiety provoking but keeps us anchored i guess and grounded in the in the in the present um and that tends to help to keep stress down uh as things perhaps may ease i think it's important to look at the recovery process and what what's going on in the community in terms of recovery Looking for, um, uh, you know, the looking at the efforts of those that were helping in the community at the time, recovery, bushfire recovery, um, uh, the tremendous community support, volunteer support, and initiatives that came from the community uh, to help those on the land, whether that was, um, you know, household goods and and groceries, water. Um, conversations, sausage sizzles. I think it's important to get out and get involved with those, go down to see them, even if to if you don't need anything, but just go down and have a conversation with them. Um, that helped create a sense of hope and and the notion that this fire, the disaster was going to pass, that we there was a path forward, there were efforts afoot to, that we're going to give uh, hope and a light that um, things would return to normal. So any effort, any activity which helps you keep grounded, helps you keep focused and um, anchored in uh, normal routines will help help deal with the stress of those events. I think also too getting away once the immediate stress has passed, immediate um, immediate uh, danger in the ter- in the case of the fires, you know, a danger to property and, and life um, had passed. I think 
in the weeks and months afterward. It, I think it was useful to, for people to get away from the district just for a day or two so and go to an area which were, wasn't affected by the fire so it could remind them of um, that there was a different life and that um, uh, uh, better, better times and better conditions are st- still possible and we're out there. It helped restore some perspective uh, to shrink the um, fears and um, worry that the fire created, that this may continue for, for who knows how long, but that it, again it would come and would go. And, um, you know, more normal times ahead were, were showing signs of... Um, were appearing to show a light uh, direction. And as time goes on, the community's been looking more and more at rebuilding as well as planning for the future. What are some ways that people can manage their stresses in this latter phase of the recovery journey where we're focusing more on rebuilding and planning for the future? Um, I think it's important to you know, that we um, uh, address a balanced um, lifestyle for ourselves and for the community. Again, I think relationships are very important. Close relations, close and supportive relationships help people get through the difficult, well, the difficult times may help them bear them more easily. And again, um, in the good times, uh, keeping up those social relationships uh, so that they're there and are sturdy again so that should another difficulty face the community, they're there and ready to to meet that new um, new challenge. Um, but um, people need to be also planning for uh, looking at the difficulties and the events of the past and addressing any shortfalls which those disasters showed in our terms of our responses. We need to be looking at then um, creating new solutions so that um, adverse effects of any future disaster can be uh, ameliorated at least. So I think that then that creates a sense of optimism in people that um, they can... um, they're prepared again, better prepared for future events. And they, if if they're not there, at least their their children and uh, will have um, ideas on how to handle it. Or those ideas will be set up within the structures and systems of the community community's response. That sounds like it's really important to maintain relationships and and continue that socialising. And also to be actively engaged in the rebuilding and the planning for the future um, so that 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 actually does build up your your own sense of hope and confidence that you can manage a future challenge should there be a, a future challenge. It, it does, I agree. You know, we, um, we're, we're wonderful pe- uh, creatures in a way that we, we can learn from mistakes and and um, and we can prepare ourselves and to um, uh, to meet future challenges, and we have the ability to to meet future challenges. I think that confidence then 
which is generated from that creates a sense of optimism about a future which is which is safer and more friendly and uh, and more supportive for all of us. In terms of stress, how important is it that we as humans manage our stress levels? How does stress impact our overall health and well-being? Oh, look, stress is um, quite a debilitating uh, thing. Um, it affects our health, general health. It can make us low. It can rob us of energy. It can um, impact us in terms of damage to our different systems within our body, you know, our immune system, uh, uh, different, you know, our breathing, our uh, different organs are placed under greatest stress when we find it much more difficult to, to work if we're under stress. Um, people become, have uh, become um, uh, tired, listless, uh, they have trouble um, making decisions, solving problems, um, become low in mood, depressed or anxious, which really interferes with a quality of life. So for a number of... Di- and of course the stress at which it, the difficulties and pressure it places on relationships then sends a ripple out through our families, our friends and then the community as well. So... Um, both as a per, you know, for people individually, for family, friends, social network, and then the community as a whole. Stress has a has a big, wide-ranging impact. It sounds like it's a good idea for us to manage those stresses because it sounds like they do have quite um, a varied impact on our physiology, our general health, our mental health, and well-being. I often talk about mental health and well-being as built on some foundation stones of good sleep, physical activity, which could include general movement as well as exercise, nutrition, and then there's the inner skills or the mind skills that we have that are, are really critical to our mental health. What are some things that people can do to optimise these inner skills or their mind skills so that when stressful events take place, they're more resilient and they're going to be able to manage stress better? Uh, Look, when I think um, uh, with regards to managing stress, when, uh, when stressful events occur, I think it's important to uh, take some time out to be reflective, to think about how that stress is impacting on us, on that person, why they're tense, you know, where's that source of tension coming from? And I'm talking about reflective time, not ruminating time, where you're just thinking over the problem over and over again and getting Which nowhere. Which is so easy to do. Which is so easy to do. I'm talking about reflective time where you're actively thinking, why am I stressed about what's real, how am I feeling? What's behind that feeling? What's the tension driving me here? Try to try to get some perspective back into your mental situation, and then and then um, you know generate some solutions, perhaps to what the source of the tension is that you've identified. Some solutions, and then say, well, you know, how will I how will I do that? When will I do that? Will somebody need to help me with this? Those sorts of questions you ask yourself and then when you're formulating a, um, a, a way forward 
to deal with those stresses. Uh, I think reflective time should also be built into your, uh, a week as well. So some time away from work or time away from um, everyday life is useful. So I'm keen for people to combine that time with uh, some exercise, walking, could be uh, could be water sports, it could be whatever, but um, some time away from work, time away from family pressures, if that's possible, which is enjoyable, um, but something built in regularly either into the day or the week, but consistently occurring uh, has, has, has a real preventative benefit so that we can maintain perspective, we can have a quiet time where, where our brain's not overworking and overthinking, but also involving exercise, which really does um, exercise, redresses a lot of the stress um, which is placed on the body, but helps it uh, get rid of the stress and relax. Relaxation's an important part of life, one that often people forget because <laughs> it's so long since they felt relaxed. <laughs> Uh, but exercise does that, and enjoyable physical exercise, you know, walking, swimming, jogging, bushwalking, whatever. Fishing's even an exercise in my mind, though my wife disagrees, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's different whatever. for everyone, isn't it? That's right. It's individual preferences, and people should follow their their um, their preferences in that regard to do something that's meaningful for mm. them. So it sounds like a good balance of exercise but relaxing activities as well so for some people exercise might be quite relaxing and and provide that benefit um and and but relaxation could be something that's less active mm. as well that's right look that's right. you know people, a lot of people do um meditation or they could be doing um people could be going for a massage or people could be uh doing some yoga or, or calisthenics whatever uh, they don't have to be too active. They can be sedate in nature, whatever those those relaxation pursuits are. So you also mentioned this aspect of having fun, and oh, and yes, so I'm thinking, word. yeah, as adults in particular, I think we sometimes do forget to have fun, especially when there is a lot going on around us, and we feel that that weight, that heaviness of what's happening in the world around us and through us, and a lot of adults don't seem to have hobbies. It's, it's interesting you say that, Catherine. I've found the same thing. People uh, become so immersed in the family or uh, their work uh, that they seem to uh, deny um, themselves some pers- interesting pursuit, like a hobby or an interest, um, when actually it would probably help them be better as an individual and better as a family member uh, if they did have a hobby because they come back from that hobby uh, replenished and regenerated. So activities, I think some people see hobbies as being selfish in a way in the modern era, but in actual fact it's going to benefit them. So ultimately it's going to benefit their family and the community because, um, you know, we can uh, operate then in a, a more positive way on a daily basis, feeling better mentally uh, and physically, of course, too. You know, so it's got a lot of benefits, but which something which I don't think is taken up as seriously as it should be. As you mentioned, people have very different ways of 
managing stress and different activities they like to do to de-stress. How do we know if we're managing our stresses effectively? What are some of the warning signs that we could be looking out for ourselves, but also with people around us? Look, I think the things that look out for our changes in our mood, uh, changes uh, which, um, which may persist for some time. Not you know, sometimes I'm out a bit of out of a mood for a few hours or something for a day. But if they if they're persisting for days and weeks, then that's a sign that something's not working properly. Um, sleep. Uh, oh, before sleep, I should talk about irritability, being impatient, uh, can be signs that we're overdoing something um, and then we need to get some balance back in our life. Um, sleep hasn't always been an indicator that I've been often looked at. The quality and quantity of sleep in which people are getting, the ability to get to sleep, uh, whether it's broken sleep or early waking, um, energy levels can be a sign that uh, uh, listlessness um, can be a sign that we're, you know, burning the candle both ends too much. Um, so, and again, just our feelings about getting some pleasure out of life. Are we enjoying life anymore? You know, um, sometimes you have to ask yourself that question. Am I doing something which I'm enjoying or is it just drudgery now? So those can be signs, small or large, that stress is affecting our lives too much. If someone is concerned about somebody else's mental health or their sense of well-being, what would you suggest that they do? Uh, look, I think a personal approach could be is a, is a first thing to try. Look, just asking them how they're going. Um, uh, yeah. Some general questions, you know, how's 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 how you going? How's work? How's the family? Whatever. Um, just to check check in with them to see, you know, what that their answer is. Often that somebody taking an interest in somebody else can be enough to just uh, for them to uh, open up or tell you. Um, if it you don't have to solve their problems for them, but just asking if they're okay um, and how things are going could be an opportunity which starts a process of help for them. I think it's important if if you to um, if you if you find and from their answers that they're not coping too well, to suggest that they get in touch with their GP or um, someone that you may know that's a, an allied health professional perhaps that could um, could be useful to talk to, to get some help, to you know, see a GP or see an allied health professional like a social worker, a psychologist or counsellor. It doesn't have to be about some something bad or... A serious issue can be just about everyday uh, stresses that people have. So um, we should view it in that way rather than being seen as uh, an admission that we're not coping or that we're uh, mentally not well. I I think that's a a way of looking at things which isn't helpful or realistic either. Sometimes, yeah, people think that they might need to have a really, really big problem to to go to counselling or to talk to a doctor. That's exactly right. That was, I was trying to bring out that point. It doesn't have to be a big issue that you need 
to get some advice from. I, I think people are more socially isolated now than they were in the past. So you don't have a lot of people that you could call on to, to talk over small things anymore. Um, so uh, doctors or psychologists, social workers, counsellors um, have taken on a role which is uh, to meet some of that need to just talk about small things too, which may be uh, upsetting our lives. They don't have to be a suffering from some severe mental illness or anything to access the services of a professional. Uh, and, um, and so I, I think we need to look at it as being support rather than being psychoanalyzed if you go to see somebody like that. Where can people go for some more information about managing stress or for personal help? You did mention GPs and allied health professionals in the community. What's a starting point for people to access a little bit more information? Look, uh, I think um, you can access, before we go to a GP, but there are some very good professional sites online that you can get some general information for reliable sites. I'm talking about, say, Black Dog um, or um, other sites, Headspace. Um, there's some very good sites on uh, professional sites. There's a lot of rubbish online as well. But I think if you go to the uh, reputable professional sites, uh, they do have some very good introductory information on managing stress or particular problems. I think they're quite useful. There's some useful apps which they may recommend too. I think apps can be, there's some excellent apps that can be helpful. If those things are not uh, still are not of any help, then I think you need to go and see a GP and talk over the issues. They uh, can then direct you to an appropriate health professional and you could get possibly get some subsidised um, appointments with them. So it's a degree of um, of uh, accessing help at different levels according to what you feel you may need. I'd always start firstly with um, online sites that are um, reputable, and then you may want to... Um, Go and see a GP if the problem still persists. We'll include some of those websites that you mentioned, as well as a, a mm. few more we'll collect together and include them on the handout that goes with this conversation that we're having on this yeah, episode. Look, there's a wide range of very reputable uh, sites, so I wouldn't want to be only list one or two. Uh, if you if you could make a comprehensive list, that would be really mm. useful. Absolutely. Mark, could you share a story of strength about someone who may have successfully used some stress management strategies, perhaps someone that you've worked with or, or a typical case scenario perhaps of how someone might go from feeling quite stressed and accessing help and learning some strategies and implementing them successfully in their life? Yeah, um, look, uh, uh, one case story that springs to mind was a uh, a younger man um, who was affected by the bushfire in um, 2019 and um, had it threatened his um, home 
and Courtney Manor wares, uh, although there were bushfire um, bushfighters around, it had made a very quick um, advance to fire and had come to within 30 or 40 metres of his home and he was quite uh, traumatised by that. And for some time after, he had um, suffered, suffered poor sleep, anxiety, difficulty thinking and concentrating. And it was his work colleagues who'd suggested that uh, they he get some, uh, see a professional to help with the problems he was having, sort of returning to normal. Um, the fire fire situation for that season, if you remember, went for six months really. Um, and over that time, although the immediate danger to his house had, had passed, he was still um, being traumatised by... Um, events on TV, and uh, uh, when what had particularly helped him was to link with other farmers and other residents in the, in the rural area that he was in and talk with them about um, uh, uh, how they dealt with it and how, what they were doing in their daily lives, again, you know, inviting him out for cups of tea and over for dinners and so forth, and talking it out with those people, you know, mums and dads, men his own age or whatever, it helped him get a perspective back. And and uh, as we had perhaps mentioned earlier, seen that there was a recovery, the recovery had, had taken place, things were returning to normal, so he could return to normal. He didn't have to be ever vigilant that the fire would start again or he would be threatened. So that helped him settle some of his trauma symptoms. He was not sleeping well um, and he was having intrusive thoughts about the event past and had a tremendous sense of guilt that he misplaced guilt, I thought, about his um, his lack of preparedness or his helplessness dealing with the fire, which he attributed to something that he was supposed to be personally responsible for, which was misplaced but understandable. So linking with other people in the community, both through work and just socially in that in his rural area, neighbours, uh, young men that he'd worked with, working on some of the farms, had helped him uh, get a better perspective and redress some of the feelings of uh, um, overstated responsibility for the event, but also his vigilance that it may occur. Now... When um, it had some flow and com- uh, flow and effects, in that he'd had difficulty managing money, and we got him in. His family had also his mum and dad had also got involved with his help at that time, and uh, we put him in touch with uh, through some um, through some looking into what may be helpful. We got him onto an app, which really was very helpful, uh, a, a reputable app for recovery and uh, that helped him a lot through the day when we couldn't be available I couldn't be available or his family weren't around to settle some of his anxiety through the day and he returned to a pretty good state of mind I, th- I think um, you know in after about 12 months uh, 12 to 18 months now he's, he's coping quite well uh, his conversation is bright and cheery um, he's sleeping better and um, he's resumed sport, uh, which he'd taken some time out from for almost a year. But that 
also with the COVID thing had been an issue. Um, so, but he's returned to a normal sort of pretty much average sort of life. And um, that's been something, a journey which his, his workmates, his family and the community sort of went along with him on as well. But I think it's indicative of what things can uh, help with a recovery. It's linking with others socially, getting professional help, using any media, uh, things like apps, um, which can do fill a very important need um, in the overall recovery as well. Um, uh, and resuming as much as you can exercise and sport. Those things all contribute to uh, a recovery from disaster, from challenging events like the bushfire. And I imagine that those strategies and activities put him in good stead for managing some future challenges as well. Yeah, look, I think if he, if he meets something like that again, he's he's already in the habit of and understands the need for and the, and how it will produce good results if he keeps socially um, immersed, not withdrawn, uh, that he can go to people for specialised help and that there are some good um, things like apps or um, uh, online um, mediums where he can access um, support in between hours, in between sessions or any time. I think the the COVID did bring out some COVID restrictions, did bring um, uh, something good out of it in terms of online support has become, was developed much better and it's created accessibility for everybody 24-7 if we really need it. Uh, so that's something good that's come out of the, the COVID disaster, if we'd like to say. So out of bad comes good. So we've covered quite a bit about managing stress in terms of disasters, uh, that recovery journey that starts even before the disaster, really, <laughs> uh, and, right. uh, and can continue on for quite some time. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about stress management with our listeners that we haven't covered so far in our conversation? Um. Uh, I think it's important perhaps to just go back and say, try maintain perspective. Uh, stress will distort our thinking. It's important to have a uh, time that's reflective or a time that's just quiet, uh, where we're not involved in day-to-day or work activities, life activities, which we can come together and regenerate. And it's important to keep a sense of hope and optimism about, about life generally. And as we wrap up this conversation, what are your top three takeaways or your top three tips that people can take on board to optimise their own stress management? I think the first one is um, get together with uh, socially with your friends and family and the community regularly. That's your that's your the greatest uh, help in in managing stress. Enjoyable exercise regularly, physical exercise, um, and pursuits which you, you like particularly, preferential for you. Is that two? That's only two. Um, the other thing is to try and maintain um, perspective, giving yourself time alone or a time for quietness, tiredness, where you can rest your mind, relaxation time, which you can just uh, absorb life rather than be absorbed by life. Thank you. Okay, thanks for that. 
You've been listening to Speak Out Loud, stories of strength from the Southern Downs, a community podcast supporting the mental health recovery journey of the people in the Southern Downs region in Southern Queensland following the bushfires of 2019 and 2020. If you go to the show notes for this episode, you'll find a link to a handout which includes a summary of the episode with the top three takeaways or tips, as well as the services and the resources that we referred to. The handout is free for you to read, download and print if you wish to. You can also find this podcast, the show notes and the handouts by going to www.catherinewalton.com. That's www.kathrynwalton.com.au. If you found benefit in this episode, I'd love it if you could let your friends know about it so we can share this valuable health and wellbeing information with everyone who can benefit from it. 